This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. وَلَمَّا دَخَلُوا عَلَى يُوسُفَ آوَى إِلَيْهِ أَخَاهُ قَالَ إِنِّي أَنَا أَخُوكَ فَلَا تَبْتَئِسْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ رَبِّ شَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْعُقْتَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهُ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهُ so today, inshallah, my job is to share a little bit about ayah number 69 of Surah Yusuf with you guys. Um, this is now when they finally have convinced to, you know, uh, bring the brother, uh, you know, convince their dad to bring Binyamin, the youngest brother, who has, again, not been mentioned by name. The Bible calls him Benjamin. Our Mufassirin call him Binyamin. Um, and those 10 brothers have, not, have now brought their 11th and youngest brother back with them to Egypt. They've been told not to come in from multiple doors. We talked about that. And now in 69, in I number 69, we're going to move on to uh, the next, the, the progression of the story. So there's parts that are skipped. Now what's this? what's skipped is how was their journey? Where did they stop? And all of that, all the formalities. Basically, now we're at the point where they are in the company of Yusuf a.s. They're in front of the minister and they don't know that it's Yusuf and Binyamin is there. The youngest brother is there. Um, if you were to calculate the number of years that Yusuf was away, right? If you try to figure out kind of what the range is of the number of years that he was away. So he's taken as a kid. So if you just say, you know, uh, you know conservatively, he's eight or 10 years old. Uh, at the, if you take the Bible's version, he's 17 years old when he's taken away. But that doesn't seem to add up from the Quran's point of view because the Quran says, when he finally reached mature age, which the, in Islam and in the Quran, that's considered teenage years. So after becoming a slave in Egypt, he eventually became a teenager is what the Quran says. So it doesn't make sense that he was already a teenager when he was taken away from home. So th- there's a difference between the Quran's version and the Bible's version on this. And the Quran does not mention his age specifically, but there are clues to his age. For example, Ghulam, right? When they when they pulled him out of the well, they said, Ya Bushraha the Ghulam. Oh my God, it's a boy. And the word boy is used for preteen. So it's used for maybe an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old, a twelve-year-old, etc. But it's not used for a fourteen-year-old. You know, when the not for him, السلام, but for you know, for you and us, when you have the funny mustache coming in and the sideburn situation and all that stuff. So that's not that's not a ghulam anymore. That's now becoming on the road to a man. So he's balagha shuddahu, basically. So, um, and basically, puberty in Sharia is essentially considered when a person is considered an adult. And they are considered responsible for their actions. They're no longer considered a child. You know, in modern states, they have different legal age limits to be considered an adult. Um, And there are, you know, even the most common thing would be like driver's license, for example. Uh, Or a more common thing is like the age, the legal age for somebody to be able to get married. Those are the two common things, right? So in the United States, it's like 16 and 18, depending on the state that you may, may go to. The lowest that I know of is 16, right? So, but the Quran doesn't put a number on, like an age number on when is a person considered an adult. It essentially marks puberty as you're now responsible before Allah for your own actions, right? You're now the, the biological capabilities, Allah has given your body enough strength for you to now be answerable for what you do with it, you know? So, if you take it from that perspective, then he is preteen before leaving Egypt or before leaving his home, before being thrown in the well. And it's only after being in Egypt and after being a slave that he becomes a teenager. And then we don't know how much after that the whole drama happens with the minister's wife. And then there's, of course, the several years in prison, which could be 10 or more years. It could be less than 10 too. It could be five years, two years. It can be. Bid'a sinin means that after he told interpreted the dream of the prisoners, then it took a you know single digit number of years after that. So that number could be above three and below nine, a three or over and nine and under, right? So that's the basic bid'a what, what bid'a means. So 
And that could be maybe he stayed in prison for a whole year and then there's three more years. So minimum, it could be four years, for example. Or it could be he barely came into prison and he had this conversation, so he was in jail for three years. But if you were to max it out, then it could be that maybe he spent already a few years in prison and then there's another nine years after that. So we don't know exactly how many years. Some of us, they don't say seven years. And very commonly, they say seven years. I don't know the basis of it, but that's a common opinion that's found among them. Again, a lot of this is theory. And clearly, the Quran doesn't mention it because it doesn't further the story. So why am I going into that detail? I'm going into that detail because I'm trying to paint before you. We are being introduced to the youngest brother of Benjamin. He's not going to talk. He's going to be talked to in ayah number 69. So we're not actually going to hear him say anything. But he's present now. And he's been talked about a couple of times now. He's been talked about when the father said, I'm not letting him go, right? So he was, we know he exists. We know he's a character and a person involved in this family. And he's a member of this family. But he's never actually said anything in the surah, in the story the way Allah tells it. He also hasn't said anything when, you know, the, the, the brother, when, when Yusuf actually meets him in this ayah. But it's kind of important to try to figure out is he a child? Is, is Yusuf Ali talking to a child? Is he talking to an adult? And the, the point that I'm getting at, not that I'm trying to arrive at a number because that's impossible anyway. We won't know the exact number. But the point that I'm getting at is that he is also a young adult at the very least. He's not a child. He's not a child. Because when he left, when Yusuf left, he was too little. So we know the fact that he must have been little because Yusuf knows of his existence. Knows that he has a little brother, but he's not old enough to for him, the brothers to be jealous of him, right? So there's a, so he's basically not of the age where he is. You know, he's basically a baby. You know, he's maybe a year old, two years old, whatever it is. But he's too little. Now, because Yusuf salam knows that he's from the same mom, he you know he wants to protect him and save him. This reunion is happening between a much older brother. Or maybe there's a decade age difference, maybe 12, 13 year age difference. It can be maybe 15 year age difference. But still, he is a young adult. And I have to add, the separation isn't just the years that he spent in Egypt. It's also the years that he spent in prison. It's also the seven years of good crop when the, he didn't see his brothers, right? So you add all those years up. And then he sees in the eighth year, at least he sees the eighth bad year. When the bad years start, that's when the families start coming and people start coming asking for food, right? So it's in that year that he is now finally getting the chance for this reunion. So he's actually meeting a young adult at the very least. So maybe he's a late teenager, maybe he's in his 20s, right? Maybe 29 even, 28, 29, it could be like that. But he is, regardless from, from our point of view, he's a young man, not a child, okay? Now it's interesting that he's not a child, but he's been talked about like he was. Because the father said, I'm not letting him go with you. You know, an adult would speak for himself. Dad, I'm going. It's important. We also know that he's an adult because a child wouldn't get a full camel load of food. Right? You get the load of food per adult, right? And there would be a different kind of calculation for a mere child. But clearly, the conversation was, you have a brother. And if you don't bring him, then you're not going to get that extra load. And you'll never come back again. Which means he is being looked at as an adult even by the government. Right? But when Yaqub spoke about him, he said, You have to give me a mawthiqa min Allah, you have to give me this promise from God, from Allah. You have to swear by Allah that you will bring him back safely, and you're, you know, unless you're overrun, unless you're taking, you know, all these precautionary measures as if he's protecting not an adult, but protecting a child. So this is important. This is an important side detail in helping us paint the, a more accurate picture of what's going on. It's also interesting that when we're going to read about him today, we're, again, he's not going to be the one speaking. We're only learning things about him through what is said about him, indirectly, right? So one, we can clearly tell that he is the object of bullying, or he's at least not safe easily with his brothers. And the father who I described to you in quite some detail in the beginning of the surah, the father knows his sons very, very well. So when he's concerned that you're taking him alone like you did Yusuf, should I trust you like I did with Yusuf? He's onto something. He's not just throwing feelings out in, in midair. He's a, he's a highly intelligent human being. He certainly is someone possessing knowledge that we taught him. So he is, in fact, you know, highly intelligent and analytical when he's making this comment. It's not just an old man having panic attack and having these paranoid feelings. He's, he's a man of wisdom. 
So there's this emotional side of Yaqub alayhi salam, but it's also a highly intelligent analytical side and really a, the psychologist of the family. He understands the psychological state of his sons. And some of that you were exposed to last time too. Why is he choosing to not tell them about Yusuf and not bring them up? He knows how they think, right? So having said all of that, what seems to be the case, what could be a plausible case here is that after the loss of Yusuf alayhi salam, Yaqub alayhi salam became extra protective of not letting anything happen to bin Yamin. Right? So, and they've already done this and he knows they lied. And so now he's extra cautious not to let him out of his sight. And the thing that happens when you're overprotective of uh, a child is that you, you can prevent them from standing on their own. You can actually indirectly that what might happen is they're not able to stand against bullying or stand against outside situations to the point where even when he's an adult, the decision to go, he clearly has no say in that conversation. The brothers are saying we're taking him and he's saying, no, you're not. And we hear nothing from him, right? So he, because of that overprotection, it seems that he's the victim of a lot of bullying from his brothers early on. And that leads us to a, an interesting and an important observation about the nature of bullying. Bullying, we think of bullying as something that happens in schools, like bigger kids picking on, you know, big, fat, you know the, the big giant kid picking on a scrawny little kid or something like that. That's bullying. But actually bullying happens inside families. Older siblings can pick on younger siblings. They can beat them up. They can, you know, get them in trouble. Bullying can happen from younger siblings to older siblings. Bullying can happen when one student, when one kid is smarter and gets better grades in school, and the other one doesn't get as many much good grades. And in the in the absence of the parents, the, the smaller, smarter one is insulting the bigger one and getting away with it, right? Because the bigger one, oh, it's just your little brother. What are you talking about? And you you can have a physical beating, beating and you know slapping around and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm just playing. It's nothing. Or it could be constant insults. It could be put downs. It could be constant degradation. Oh, look, the baby here. The baby's here you know, taunts and things like that. It doesn't have to come from strangers. That kind of bullying can exist inside a family. And it has a huge impact on the self-esteem of a person. It can have a huge impact on how not independent they may become. If the only safety he ever feels is around dad, for example, that can have a huge impact on him. And if he's not able to go out and function like his brothers are, then he may not learn to, you know, defend himself in certain situations because he's never been exposed. He's never seen. So we have to, you know, and, and by contrast, I want to show you that, you know, Musa alayhi salam's um, sister, right? She's also, I mean, a girl in, in Pharaoh's society, you want to protect this girl, right? But when Musa alayhi salam's basket was going down the river, it would be too obvious if mom followed him. Because then they would know that that's a baby. So what, what did she do? She asked a young girl, a 10, 12-year-old girl, go see, go follow him. Out in a hostile, militant, you know, military police regime And follow him all the way to the castle Where there's the most hostility towards the Israelites The Israelites are slaves And she's walking towards the government building Following her brother Because she knows how to handle herself outside Right, so you, it's interesting by contrast, right Here's a mom who's sending her daughter out When there are soldiers out killing babies At that same moment, she's sending her daughter out and here you have a father refusing to let his son go with his brothers. Right? It's a really interesting contrast here about protectiveness. And so, you know, uh, Bin Yamin is actually the only picture we have of him is that pretty much of a victim, of someone who has been, you know, psychologically, maybe even physically beat down quite a bit. And we're going to see why that seems to be the case. Why does the Qur'an, how, how do we get that picture from the Qur'an? That's some of that we'll see today. So in a single ayah, a very brief ayah, Allah has opened up this subject for us. He says, وَلَمَّا دَخَلُوا عَلَى يُوسُفَ And when they finally entered into the company of Yusuf. So now they've taken that journey, they came from different doors, they converged at the palace, all of that's been fast forwarded. You know, and now we're already in the company of Yusuf. Awa ilayhi akhahu. He brought his brother into his refuge. He brought his brother into his comfort. So, akhahu meaning bin Yamin, the brother that he asked for. 
Now, how, how in the world did that happen? Imam Razi paints a scenario of how this may have happened. Again, there's no conclusive narrations or anything like that. I will share the summary of that scenario with you. And then I'll share with you what I think could be a straightforward reading of it too. Because there's no actual hadith or something authenticated like that coming from the Prophet about what transpired here, right? So one thing's for sure, he didn't come out and say, that's my brother, you guys have done a lot of messed up. The, the, the secret hasn't been come out yet. That's, it hasn't come out. So he, they don't know that he's the minister, etc. So Imam Razi's scenario is that when they came, he gave them hospitality. He gave them living arrangements, like hotel arrangement type thing, two to a room. So how many are there? Eleven, right? So there are two, 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 two. That's ten. And the eleventh one, Bin Yamin, is odd one out. He doesn't have someone to be with. It's also described that they had ten, you know, you know, five tables or six tables where they could sit and eat. So two in each table. So or two two settings for each, you know, so they were paired up. So they can be given hospitality and given housing. So they're each sitting twos, 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 twos. And the only one sitting by himself is who? Bin Yameen. And then they say, Imam Razi says that, you know, Yusuf walked over to him and he looked sad and he basically says something like, you know, if my brother was alive, I, you know, I would be sitting with him. And Yusuf says, well, I could be a brother. And he... Oh, and he says, you know, how amazing would it be if you were my brother, but you are not the son of Yahub. And at that moment, he couldn't hold himself. And he said the words that are coming. You know, he brought his brother towards him and said, in, in fact, I am your brother. So that's the, that's the way that Imam Razi kind of paints this scenario. Um, again, I don't know where this comes from, but it, is, it has been mentioned, right? So I'm sharing that with you. What I also see as a, as a very plausible theory is if you remember when they first came as 10 brothers, not 11, and they made a claim that we should get 11 loads because we have an 11th brother. He deserves food too. The way Yusuf used that claim is said, well, if you have an 11th brother, I'd like to see him, right? And if you're lying to me and trying to get a free load of camel of worth of food, then you're cheating me and you will never be allowed in this country again. Isn't that what the conversation was? And now, and you better come back with him. And that's why they came back with him, right? Now, when they came back with him, it seems like a part of due diligence that Yusuf has said, so this is the brother you claim that this is the 11th one? Yes, sir, this is the 11th one. Okay, let me have a word with him. You know how you say cross interrogation? Like they made certain claims. Let me talk to you in private for a second. And let's verify if your story matches their story. So you really are who you say you are. From their point of view, he may have called him into private conversation because he's completing his investigation, right? And this, but from Yusuf Alayhisam's point of view, this is a perfect opportunity for him to be pulled away from them. And actually, you know what? He's going to be staying with me I, uh, for some time. Your housing has been provided, your residences have been provided, but I'll be, you know, engaging with him for a little bit, and I'll let you know when I'm done with him. But he's safe. Don't worry about it, right? So they they've been discharged, and now he's got. And his brother doesn't even know. He must be nervous too. Why am I being pulled in? But he is now being pulled in and he is uh, you know, going to now talk to his brother in private. And uh, what I'm going to do now before I go further, I, I, in the beginning of the series, I talked to you about these comparisons between the story of Musa and the story of Harun. There's a very you know, blazing comparison here that should be highlighted that I don't think I did. And that is that Musa salam has a brother Harun. And he asked Allah for his brother, for his support, right? He wants, he says, I'm not strong enough. I need Harun to be my support. Right? He will reinforce my back. He will, he will be a partner in my mission. He says, put in, put, for, put in place for me someone who will carry my load with from my own family. Wazir from wizard. Wizard is a burden. So, that's the wording that Musa used for who? Harun. So Musa needs the support of Harun. He's saying, I need him. The flip happens with Yusuf not needing the support of Binyamin, but needing to be the support of Binyamin. So he's asking for Binyamin, not because he needs the support, but because Binyamin needs the support. So you've got this kind of you know, a contrasting scenario. Um, now in that scenario, 
when he when when Benjamin is alone with him, the word Allah used is awa ilayhi akhafu. And I wanted to take a little bit of time and explain to you some of the origins of the word awa. Um, the word awa is used for refuge as a verb. If awaina ila sakhrati fa'inni nasitul hut, when we took refuge in the in the boulder, I forgot about the fish in the story of you know Musa alayhi salam and you know the the Khidr story in Surah Al-Kahf. Fa'wu ila al-kahfi, go take refuge in the cave. You know, so awa is used. The verb is used for taking refuge in the cave. In its root origin, awa il. Uh, you know, um, I'm reading from Hassan Hassan Jabal's uh, Al Mu'jam Al Ishtiqaqi, which is a phenomenal dictionary of the Quran. So he's talking about this word uh, awa and ma'wa. فكل ذلك لا يستعمل فيه awa إلا لضعف ما كالحاجة إلى الحماية من عدو أو مخوف. Basically what he's saying is This word is used It's never used when there isn't weakness present So the word that's being used I mean, I'm calling it refuge, right? But he's saying when this word is used When someone heads towards somewhere But they themselves are weak And actually then there's the, the other uh, uh, Concept inside of this word Al-ma'na al-mihwari Dhammun ma'adhaf Is when two things fuse together Because of weakness They actually use the word Ittawa for birds Ittawa tittayr When birds by themselves can easily be picked on And they fly as a flock together They As if they are one You know the swerving movements they have As if they are one creature And they move in unison like that Synchronized That's actually called from this, from the same origin. So, so why is that? Because on on their own, they're very weak, and they fuse together as though they're one to become stronger. The people of the cave wanted to become almost like one with the cave because the cave is strong and the cave is fortified, and we're going to stick to it. So, the word awa was used, and awa. And by, by the way, this is the same word used by the son of Nuh when he wants security. I'll stick to the mountain. I'll go take re- not just take refuge. I'll stick to. It. I'll become one with it. Because indimam is part of the meaning. Yes, I know I'll drown, but that that mountain's pretty solid and it's pretty high up. I'll stick to it. Sa'awi ila jabali yasimuni min alma. That's awa. But then there is awa, the ifal pattern, and the ifal pattern is what is used here. Awa ilayhi akhavu. That's awa yuwi iwaan, and iwa is used when you give someone, when you bring in someone and stick to them to protect them. When you hold on to somebody. Because without you, they'll be weak. That's iwa. So when he says, Awa ilayhi akhahu, he brought his brother into him and he stuck to him. Now it's as if I'm not letting you go now. You stay with me. Why? Because if, if you recall a few episodes ago, when I talked to you about uh, uh, Yusuf alayhi concern for Binyamin, if they were like this to me, oh, he must have been their next target. And they're exactly, you know, Arafahum. He recognized that they haven't changed much. So he must be the recipient of a lot of abuse. I need to get him here any way I can. Remember that? And now that's actually happened. He is right in front of him. They are in private. No way I'm letting you go now. So he brought him into refuge towards him. He brought him to stick to him. Interestingly, this word, uh, uh, the other dimension of this origin root word is actually to show empathy and care for someone, as if to say, not only do I, I'm going to want to stick with you, I'm bringing you into my care. I'm bringing you towards myself into my care. Other dictionaries have also mentioned that the word awa is used when you bring someone into your own home, like you 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 gather someone or bring someone over to stay with you. So that's the. These are the meanings of what he says to his or does with his brother. Now, I, you know, it's important that we kind of try to visualize what happened here. He brings his brother in; other brothers aren't around, and here's what he says. The Quran tells us, "Inni qala inni ana akhuk. It is no doubt I, I am your brother. Me, it's I. I'm your brother. The me is twice, and then there's inna to remove doubt. I'm t- it's it's really me. I'm your brother. Maybe the, he was too too much of a baby to remember Yusuf salam, right? But who's been missing and crying about Yusuf since he left? The father. And the father has missed him all that time. 
And in private, when he says, I'm in fact your brother, the brother's like, you're the one that they did wrong to? You're the one that they hurt? And after you left, they're the one, they were hurting me all that time? You're that one? But he, it's unbelievable, right? So he has to say this to him in a way that he'll actually believe. So he, in privacy, lets him know, inni ana akhuk. Now, there are different ways that this can be interpreted. Let me, let me uh, uh, help you look at all of those scenarios because they're all plausible. And at the end, I'll share something with you about my, my own understanding, Allahu Alam, of the way the Quran translates stories. Um, because I think there is something more than human attempts at translation when the Quran is translating stories. But let's talk about that at the end. Now, I am certainly your brother. Let me translate the entire sentence. Then no, no longer should you be miserable. No longer should you feel a void. Don't become miserable and feel a void. Actually, bu's is used for faqr, al-faqr shadid Like when you are completely bankrupt or empty or no, have no support. That's why ba'sa is the situation after war. Because the buildings are dilapidated, schools are destroyed, hospitals are gone, there's no food available, you know, the streets are ransacked, etc. You're completely devoid of everything. And that's a situation of bu's. And it's called ba'sa also. From it comes the word ibta'asa to be sad and miserable and to be, you know, and you know, in modern psychology, we've got all these different diagnoses for negative emotions, like you know, somebody who has a nervous breakdown, somebody who has panic attacks, somebody who has anxiety, somebody who has depression, you know, different kinds of diagnoses are there. But if you look at classical Arabic, any of those are a result of a serious situation of void. Something very serious is missing or broken or taken away. Some safety has been taken away. Some love has been taken away. Some sense of security has been taken away. So the word tabta is can actually be encompassing of all of those states. You don't have to be nervous anymore. You don't have to be anxious anymore. You don't have to be worried anymore. Now, let's translate again. I am actually your brother. So no longer do you have to be sad. You don't have to be you know, overrun with sadness and grief over what they've been doing. Don't 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 be you know uh, don't be traumatized by what you're doing any what they've been doing to you anymore. Don't feel don't let that feeling hold on don't hold on to that feeling anymore. Some have said ibta'asa here also means don't hold on to a grudge against them anymore because of what they've been doing. That's gone now and I'll never let that happen again. Okay. The Quran is saying these two statements, I'm your brother, don't be sad anymore all at once, right? But that seems highly implausible that as soon as he pulled, turned the corner, stepped into the office, locked the door and says, I'm your brother, don't be sad about what they've been doing. Because he's never talked to him about what they've been doing. Right? So I'm your brother makes sense, but I'm your brother and immediately after whatever they've been doing, you don't have to be sad about that anymore. Now one scenario is, he did say it immediately and that would be an incredible insight just from the look of Benjamin's face. Yusuf salam knew that they've been abusing him. And they've been humiliating him. And you could sometimes read a person's face if you have basira like that, right? And Yusuf was given the ability to interpret all kinds of speech, all kinds of communication. And by the way, body language is also a kind of communication. People can read the bags under your eyes. People can read the bulges on your forehead. People can read the, the sadness on your face. They can read it. They can read the anxiety or fear with which you look at your brothers. They can, he can tell something. He, and he knows that face because he's had that face when they did that to him. It could be like that. So it could be that the first thing is not just, I'm your brother, but you don't have to feel that anymore. I know all, you ever, you, all you've ever known from brothers is that they abuse, that they, mis, that they put down, that they you know, take advantage. They're supposed to be your protection. They're supposed to be your older brothers, your role models. You're the usbah of this family, but they're the ones that are beating on you. You don't have to feel that anymore. I'll show you a different kind of brother now. I'm the other kind of brother. I'm your brother. You don't have to be sad about what they've been up to. That's one scenario that immediately he said it to them. Another scenario is they go in private and he starts talking to, uh, uh, to, to Binyamin. And Binyamin has, hasn't had someone affectionate talk to him or someone caring talk to him in a dignified way other than who? Yaqub because he's got that scenario at home, right? And as when you when you talk to somebody like that, even though he doesn't know that's his brother yet, he starts opening up to him. 
that's another scenario. He starts opening up to him, talking about his family. So what's your family situation like? I, even though I'm not as sold on this theory, only because I would argue that family matters are not exposed to strangers like that in just a conversation like that. And that would also, in some sense, constitute a kind of backbiting, I would think. Then he's talking about how my brothers have been pretty bad to me and things like that. You get it? So that would be a little bit, it seems a, a bit odd that someone trained by Yaqub himself would get into the company of a king and say, yeah, my brothers are totally messed up. They, like, they're so bad. And then, you know, Yusuf says, by the way, I'm your brother. But that is one way of looking at it. I, I find that less plausible, but that is another way of looking at it. Yet another way of looking at it, and I'm most convinced of this way of looking at it, well, there's two more actually, and both of them seem very plausible, is that they talked, he shared some things, but after that, after some kind of level of comfort, he opened up to him and tell him, I'm in fact your brother. And don't be sad about what, they're, what they've been up to. But the final one is the one I find most appealing. And here's the final one. As soon as they're in private, I need to tell you something. I'm the son of Yaqub. I'm in fact your brother. And that must have been a very powerful emotional moment for both of them. First of all, it would have been shocking and not believable. And the fact that it's not believable is captured inside inni, ana, akhuka. You know, how unbelievable something is, you have to iterate it over and over again, which is why it's kind of like when Musa salam went up the mountain and who was talking to him all of a sudden? Allah was, and he says, Innani, ana Allah. It is I, I am Allah. The I was twice. And here, he can't believe it could be his brother. And he says to him, Inni, ana ahuka. I'm telling you, I'm your brother. But then, once he told him, I'm your brother, they hug each other. They start crying. Dad has missed you so much. You don't know what it's been like since you were gone. I've heard about you all these years. What happened in your life? And he says, what happened to yours? How's dad? How have you been? And then he starts crying about what the brothers have been doing to him. And you know, you know, it's it's been a kind of hell. It's they, They're so mean to me and they're disrespectful to dad. And I can't do anything about it. And you know, I was so scared to even come here. I didn't know what they were going to do to me. Because you know, dad kind of told me what they did to you. We don't even know what happened to you. And there are all these conversations happening. And Yusuf salam is kind of reliving what he lived with his brothers in the words of his own younger brother. And so the first thing he does is he makes sure that his brother will no longer fear that again. So after that opening up in between, he says, then you don't have to be scared. I'm your brother. I am your brother. Like he said, almost as if he says it again at the end and says, no, you don't have to be, you don't have to be sad anymore. So it's, the thing is, even though it's said once, you don't have to necessarily accept that it was said just once by them. And this is where the theory on how the Qur'an's dialogue and its exchanges can be interpreted comes into play. You have, for example, uh, the story of Zakariya, right? When he was very old, he didn't have a child. And the angels came to him and told him, you're going to have a child. You're going to have Yahya. His name is going to be Yahya. They even named him. Allah even sent the name for John, the, what's called John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. When Allah gave him that name, and when the angels came and said that to him, he said, Ya, ya Allah, give me a sign. Yeah. And in one surah, um, in Surah Maryam, don't speak to people for three nights. That will be your sign. You're not going to be able to talk to people for three nights except by using signs. In Surah Ali Imran, same story. But he, the angels say, don't talk to people for three days. They don't say three nights, they say what? Three days. Well, it's one conversation. Now why in one surah are they saying three nights? And the other surah they're saying what? Three days. And somebody who doesn't understand even a little bit of depth of Qur'an say, oh, clear contradiction. Which one is it? Did they say night or did they say day? Well, here's the thing. Is it a pretty shocking thing that's just been told? So for three nights, you're not going to be able to speak to people. Allah has blessed you. Remember, three days, three complete days, meaning can it be said multiple times and one fragment of the conversation is here, another fragment of the conversation is there? Absolutely. That's what the Qur'an does. It's the same conversation with Allah and Musa salam on the mountain. But the way the parts of the conversation in Surah Al-Shu'ara are highlighting something else and the parts of the same conversation in Surah Taha are highlighting something else. It's the same conversation but different 
scenes of that conversation. You know, in modern film, you've got the, the filmographer, the, one, the, the, the people that are filming the scene, they'll film a scene, and then in season two, astaghfirullah, they'll show you the same scene, but from a different camera angle. And they'll show you some of the things that were said in that first conversation that they didn't show you the first time. And you're like, oh, now I get it. Right? There's a lot of now I get it in tafsir of Qur'an. <laughs> There's these filling of this, these incredible gaps. It's remarkable storytelling. So what can be the case is, when he says, I'm your brother, don't be sad anymore. It's Allah basically taking the, the entire conversation they must have had and juicing it and squeezing it into a few words to give us an idea of what came out of that conversation. Now we get to what is the lesson to be learned from this conversation. You could be in the house of a prophet and you're not safe from abuse. Well, think about that. You could be in a house so blessed by Allah that Allah put prophets in it. And yet you are being wronged in that household. Even And the prophet that is with you, your father, is unable to stop it from happening. Why would Yusuf say, don't be sad about the things they have been doing? Some, some have actually posited what they're going to do. Meaning, now that I've called you towards me, they think that you're getting special attention, they'll get jealous of you. Don't worry about what they're going to do. But this is not, that's not what the language is saying. The language isn't saying, don't worry about them or don't worry about what they're going to do. It says, don't be sad, don't be miserable, don't hold on to what they have been doing. Now what they have been doing must, can very plausibly mean that Yusuf was told by his brother all the bad things they have been doing. And now he says, they're there, I'm your brother. Come here, give me a hug. They're not going to do that anymore. No, 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 no more sadness for you. I'm your brother, right? I'm your brother, right? Yeah, yes, you are. And there's this comforting happening between two brothers. You're, you're in safe hands now. What does that tell you? That even though you are a person of Iman, and Binyamin is a person of Iman, he's a good son of Yaqub salam. so his faith is very strong. Just because you have faith in Allah, doesn't mean you don't need comforting. It doesn't mean you don't need to be, you know, felt to be made to feel safe. And does, even if you're physically not harmed, because he's physically not harmed, does it mean that emotional harm doesn't count? That it can't cause you misery? Words and taunts and comments. By the way, there's a tafsir interpretation of, you know, uh, you know put-downs that they used to give to the, these two brothers. Basically, the story is, and again, I don't know the authenticity of these things, but they have been narrated that, because um, their mom is different, right? So Yusuf and Benjamin's mom is different. From the other brothers, they have different moms. Um, so their mom, her father, so they, basically Yusuf and Benjamin's grandfather was an idol worshiper. But not from Yaqub's side. From Yaqub's side, their grandpa is Ishaq. From their mom's side, their, their, their grandpa was an idol worshiper. And his mom hated it, <clears throat> that the, the grandfather worships idols. So the story that's been narrated <clears throat> is that she told Yusuf to go steal the idols so he won't be able to worship them anymore. Okay? And then he got caught. And then his brothers called him a thief. Oh, this is the, this, both the mom and the son, are, this is the thief side of the family. It runs in their blood. So they turned it into a taunt. While the, what they did is something praiseworthy and very close to what Ibrahim salam did actually because what did he do? Destroy other people's property. Didn't he? Just he broke idols. And if that story is true, then Yusuf alayhi salam said, Why well, if I'm, mom said not break, but I'll, I'll steal him, sure. You know? And I wouldn't be surprised if this did happen that he stole him and then broke him too. Possible. Who knows? But if that happened, that then came this idea that they're thieves, or, or you're the you're the thief's brother, or your mom was a thief. And they would taunt like that. They would bring those things up. What are you gonna steal now, huh? You know? And actually that's coming later on, you know, when the accusation comes that you've stolen. They say, well, if he stole, he had a brother who stole too. And Mufassirun say that that may be a reference to when he stole the idols from his maternal grandpa. So he won't be able to worship them anymore on the instruction of his mom. Again, I don't know the authenticity. We'll get to that when we get to that. But here, the critical thing is the act of giving comfort to a family member and to acknowledge the pain and suffering they've been through and to listen to the suffering that they've been through 
through. And actually, once you hear it and understand it, to actually come and give comfort is a prophetic legacy. This is now a sunnah of Yaqub alayhi salam or Yusuf alayhi salam that's been recorded in the Quran. To give comfort to family that have been through bad things. To give comfort to someone that's been through bad things even at the hands of family. You know what happens in our families when bad things are done? You come to your father and say, this is what uncle did to me. You come to mom and say, this is what they did to me. This is what, sometimes the father is abusive and you go to the mother and say, this is what dad did to me. And you know what mother says? Ah, shush! We don't talk about that. Must have been your fault. You must have asked for it. Right? So instead of giving comfort, we put down even more. You understand? And here you have a prophetic advice, prophetic legacy of giving comfort to someone who's been through a lot. And, inst- and there are other ways you can take this, right? Somebody comes to you and says, they've done a lot to me. Yeah, what did you do? You can't stand up for yourself? You couldn't learn some boxing? You couldn't do this? You couldn't do that? Seriously? You, why, why are you being such a wimp? There are other ways to approach this, right? And many of you have experienced other ways of approaching. When you say, I have a problem, why do you have a problem? Why can't you just toughen up? What's your issue? Why are you not strong enough? Everybody's strong enough. Just believe in Allah and everything will be fine. That's another approach. Another approach which is not Islamic but pretend Islamic would be, oh, you're going to backbite against your brothers? You should be ashamed of yourself talking about your brothers like that. Did Yusuf Alayhisam do that? Hey, you're talking about your brothers behind their back. This is backbiting. This isn't backbiting. This is a family matter. There's a difference. He's not going around talking to strangers about it. When you have someone safe you can talk to, you don't call that backbiting. When you need to talk to somebody, for example, if there's, you're in an abusive marriage and a husband or a, or a wife is being abusive and you say, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk to my mom. I need to talk to my dad. I need to talk to my brother. No, I, I don't want to talk about what's going on because that's backbiting or I have to you know, keep family matters, family matters. No, when it comes to abuse and when you're being traumatized or victimized, then you have a right. But you don't have a right to email everyone you know or everyone you meet, hey, I want to tell you about the situation I'm going through. Or make posts about it and memes about it because you want the world to feel sorry for you. No, but if you have someone you can trust who says, I'm your brother, I will take your sadness away. Don't look to, for sympathy from the world. But, but if Allah has given you someone in privacy that can offer you that sympathy, that's not backbiting, that's not slander. But in the open and coming out and this, you know, you know what my brother does to me? You know what my husband does? You know what my wife does? You know what my dad does? You know what my mom does? You know what my son does? You know, and and when people do that kind of thing and you know what's what's become now is when people are in a relationship, you know, siblings, spouses, parents, whatever, and they have some argument going on, they'll just make emotional like rants about it online. But say, I wasn't talking about you. They say, when your heart is broken by your sibling, and you and then you put like a little whatever. No, no, not other sibling. You only have one brother, bro. Who are you talking about? What sibling? No, my friend sent that to me. It was about some other sibling. I'm sure it applies to someone. No, you're very passively trying to take jabs at a family member by putting up these emotional rants online to get likes and shares 100%. You know, I feel your pain and crying emojis, all this fake emotion. Now you can scroll down the screen and feel better about you. Say, hey, somebody thinks my feelings are valid online. Yes, that must mean I'm right. <laughs> so this is, this is what we've become. Because there's a genuine lack of human connection. There's a genuine lack of human connection. And, that's, you know, and I don't necessarily make fun of that entirely. I also say that that's become a common practice because... We don't actually have genuine human connections. We don't feel like we're being heard. So might as well be, be seen on these, you know, these memes. This is my way of being heard. I have a voice too. That's not a voice because somebody reads that and goes, and then does this. That's, that's what your emotions are worth. About 0.5 seconds in somebody's read. That's what they're worth. You know, that's not genuine. That's not real. Your, your actual family your actual friends, your people that, are, that have real substance in your life, real, the, the real well-wishers you have, the equivalent of Yusuf salam, who's never been around his brother, but is genuine enough and comes and offers that protection and he gives it, and he spills it all. He's been, he's been holding a lot in, clearly, right? And by the way, the idea of 
holding a lot in and letting it all out happens in the story of Musa alayhi salam too. When he makes it to Madian and he meets an old man. And the old man said to him, the Shaykh said to him, Don't be sad anymore. You, re- you escaped. You escaped from wrongdoing people. You're okay now. So he gave him a kind of refuge. And now here Yusuf is giving his brother a kind of refuge and saying, You don't have to be sad anymore. You know? And it's important what he what Allah Quran didn't record. This is why I thought this is relevant to us. Because we sometimes, when people come to us in times of suffering, then we feel that the only thing we can do is give them Islamic advice. Remind them of Allah. Remind them of their faith. Which is good sometimes. And actually most times it's good. But did Yusuf السلام, tell his brother, you know Allah wants us to have sabr. And you should be grateful that you're alive. And you have to have tawakkul in Allah. And how can you be like this? You have to have, well, where's your iman? You know, we all have to remember the akhirah and the akhirah, none of this will matter. Because on judgment day, this will feel like it was nothing. will feel like it was just a single day. Those are all great reminders. But you know what? As much as those lectures sound really good, prophets are much better lecturers than we are. And they're much more wise in what to say and when to say it than we are, isn't it? And here you have someone coming to him in pain, and he, he talked about Allah to prisoners, didn't he? He talked about Allah to prisoners. He talked about Allah when he interpreted the dream, ذَلِكَ مِمَّا عَلَّمَنِي Rabbi. Right? He, he did. But when it comes to this, he didn't bring up Allah. He just says, don't be sad, I'm your brother. I'm here for you. Because sometimes your family members don't need you to preach. They just need you to be there. They just need you to be a mom. Not a lecturer mom. They just need you to be a brother. Not the guy who gives khutbahs. They don't need you to be that. You don't need you to quote stuff. There's plenty to quote. There's really, I mean, I'm pretty sure Yusuf is going to quote some really epic stuff from Ibrahim salam and from Ishaq salam and from Yaqub salam. He's not getting no quotes. He's just getting, I'm your brother, don't be sad. I know you went through a lot. Sometimes we feel like we want to say what we want. Here's an opportunity for me to drop some epic quotes. No. This is an opportunity first for you to be a good listener. Because his words are actually indicating that he listened very carefully. And not only did he listen, he can tell that the events that have happened have made you have made you suffer anxiety, have made you suffer sadness, they've made you suffer suffer misery. You feel like a void where you, feel, you don't feel safe, you have no one to talk to. And that's the bta'is. I can tell not just what you're saying, but the feelings behind what you're saying. And I want you to not have those feelings anymore because I want you to feel safe because I'm here and I'm your brother. It's so beautiful. These words of comfort are so beautiful. So they're so relevant. So what I'm trying to get at is... A remarkable wisdom from Yusuf and his brother's exchange here is that we have to become more empathetic. You know, when we said, when Allah says in, in earlier in this ayah, He brought him into his refuge, He brought him into empathy and care, He brought him in and held him together, fused himself with him. All of that tells you what? That before you speak, it's the way that you make someone feel. And to make him feel safe was necessary because the word for refuge is being used. Making his brother feel safe and then telling him what you are to him. And then telling him, I've heard what you've gone through. I acknowledge what you've gone through. And I will try to do my, you don't have to feel like that anymore. I will be your shield. I'll protect you. It's absolutely beautiful. It's so powerful. That this one ayah contains this family therapy. That you're not going to get from a, a counselor or a stranger who will hear your problems and tell you how to deal with them and how to work through your emotions. That has its place. But when family gives comfort, when a son gives comfort to his mother, when a brother gives comfort to his sister, or sister gives comfort to her brother, when husband gives comfort to wife, when wife gives comfort to husband, and, and they make them feel like they understand the pain I'm going through. They understand it. And they're going to protect me. That comfort cannot come from anywhere else, man. That's just, Allah made you family with some people that only you could comfort them like nobody else can. And that's why Allah chose to make them your family. Like that was, a, that was part of Allah's plan. 
Now you may look as you're listening to this and think about your brother and like, that guy is my comfort. <laughs> and it can be the case because he has other brothers too that are not comfort, isn't it? So we're not talking about everybody has to be everybody else's comfort. It doesn't work like that. The Quran doesn't paint an oversimplistic picture. The Quran doesn't say every sibling should be like Yusuf and Binyamin. Because he, we know of other siblings in the story too. There's a reality check. But you know when and to whom this applies and how it applies. You have to ask yourself and I have to ask myself, are we... Are we the kinds of family members that Binyamin's brothers are, the other brothers, or are we the Yusuf kind? Right? To those that are suffering in our family. And if we're watching silently, is it because we're powerless? We're too old, too weak, too young, too outnumbered? Is that why? Or is it because we just don't care? We simply don't care. We have to ask these critical questions of ourselves as we engage in contemplating this remarkable ayah. وَلَمَّا دَخَلُوا عَلَى يُوسُفَ أَوَى إِلَيْهِ أَخَاهُ قَالَ إِنِّي أَنَا أَخُوكَ فَلَا تَبْتَئِسْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَدُونَ I can't imagine these words were said without lots of tears flowing from both of their eyes. Lots of holding together. You know, lamenting. And now it's all, you don't have to be sad anymore. Wiping his tears. I'm here now. I'm here now. I'm here now. It's okay. It's okay. Let it out. Let it out. It's a beautiful moment. It's one of those things, you know, sometimes you guys, you watch like, uh, some of you watch like emotional movies when you get a box of napkins and watch them. Like, <laughs> Nemo finally found his dad. <laughs> Gets me every time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a CGI animation with voice actors, but they're able to manufacture emotions in you. They're able to do And you're like, I get it every time. And some of you listen to it like a sentimental song or something. And you get to that line and you're like, <laughs> you know, that happens to you. But you know what? Sometimes we are so emotionally connected to story. And we're emotionally connected to song. We're emotionally connected to actors that are faking it. They're faking it. And we're emotionally connected to it. People are addicted to shows that make them cry. You know that? I love this show. I cry so much when I watch it. <laughs> okay. Because they're not really crying. They're, they're not sad at all. They got paid to do that. <laughs> you know? And they love each other to death and they died. And as soon as the scene is over, they hate each other's guts and like <laughs> walk away. You know? But when we read something so real, so powerful, so emotionally jolted, like it's so charged, it doesn't move. There is a problem with that. The fake has become real. And the real doesn't seem real. The Quran, what's more real than the Quran storytelling? What's more real than this real scenario that happened? Allah took us inside this very private, intimate moment between two men that have suffered in their lives. And they're crying like children because it feels like they're children all over again. And He's telling them something you would normally tell a child. Don't be sad. They won't hurt you anymore. Don't be sad about what they've been doing to you. You don't have to feel like that anymore. Because when, when trauma happens, that lives inside you and it makes you relive those feelings as if you're a child. It doesn't matter how strong or bigger you are on the outside, that stays inside. And that needs to be healed. And he's healing that for his brother. May Allah give us the opportunity to find people that are a source of healing for us and give us the opportunity to be a source of healing for others that may need it from us, especially within our own families. Barakallahu li walakum fil Qur'anil hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikil hakim. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.